0: Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church.
1: Tonight's um, <coughs> first reading comes from Psalm 119, starting at verse 105. You can follow along the words are on screen. Um, they're also printed in your service booklets, and they're also uh, Red Pew Bibles. And feel free to use your smartphone if you wish. So Psalm 119, starting at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever, and they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever. To the end but the next reading is from John 6 uh, the service booklet says we're going to start at verse 60 but we're actually going to start at verse 52 so John six fifty-two. the Jews then disputed among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat so Jesus said to them very truly I tell you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is, the, is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you, there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know you are the holy one of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you the twelve? Yet one of you was a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, the one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right, before I say some things, uh, and I want to start as we unpack this passage from John this evening by telling you. Um, a bit of a story about when I first moved out of home. Uh, I moved out of home when I was uh, 20, when Sam was 11. I think that's right. Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, I was about 20. It was the beginning of my second year of uni, and I loved my first year of uni. It was such a great experience uh, in all kinds of ways, uh, and a a formative experience. Uh, My uni experience was almost exclusively fantastic. Uh, It formed me as a person it helped me grow up Uh, it helped me grow spiritually as well particularly as I uh, got involved with the evangelical union at Sydney uni the Christian students group uh, on campus there I made heaps of friends I spent all my time hanging around uni Uh, instead of actually going to the classes I was meant to go to I mostly hung around in the cafes and the bars talking to people more so than actually going to class but hung around uni as much as I could and so I thought second year uni I just want to be there as much as I can Uh, And so uh, I decided to move uh, out of home, um, which at the time was about a three-hour trip door-to-door from uni anyway, so it was probably a good time to move up to Sydney anyway. Uh, I'd made all these friends, uh, as I mentioned, uh, in the Evangelical Union particularly, uh, friends who weren't just great people with interesting thoughts, studying interesting things but also people who just really loved Jesus. They were on for Jesus. We were doing ministry together for Jesus on campus, trying to reach out to the campus around us to tell them how great Jesus is, to invite them to put their own trust in him as well. And so when I decided to move out of home, it made sense to live with some of those fantastic people uh, who I'd met in that context. And so I moved out uh, with uh, two women who were student leaders with me in the ministry on campus uh, who were also looking to move out of home Uh, And we'd just been involved in heaps of stuff together on campus, uh, and so it kind of made sense for our lives to come together in this kind of way as well. We had this awesome share house with people from uni and and beyond in and out all the time, and it it was a great time. It only lasted a year, though, actually less than a year. And part of the reason that my first ever share house didn't last very long is that by the time I'd moved out less than a year after moving in, neither of these two women who I had worked together on campus with in Christian ministry were Christians anymore. They both walked away from their faith. Uh, My time at uni was brilliant and full of joy, and I really do mean it when I say I have almost exclusively great memories of my time of that period of my life. But at the same time, my time at uni began to teach me some of the hardships of the Christian life, some of the sorrows that come with following Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is that the longer you follow Jesus, the more and more you will see people who you know who have stopped following Jesus. Uh, perhaps your parents, perhaps siblings, uh, perhaps friends of yours. Almost all of you will know someone who you once stood shoulder to shoulder with, singing the praises of the Lord Jesus, but who now has no interest in Jesus and is maybe even hostile to him. If you're anything like me, uh, then those moments raise real, deep and difficult questions for us. How did this happen? How? How did this happen? What does it say about the faith that seemed to be so vibrant in that person that that all of a sudden they can just decide to walk away from it? Perhaps the most disturbing question that it raised for me back then and has probably raised for many of you as well is this. Uh, Will the same thing happen to me? Will will I be like that? Will I be like one of those people? Will I become just like them? In the passage that we've read from John's Gospel today, we encounter uh, that kind of experience There are people who have been following Jesus. They're called his disciples. They've been walking with him, learning from him, following him around. And all of a sudden, they turn and walk away. And when they do, Jesus puts a question to those who are still there with him, to the 12. And it's a question you can kind of hear Jesus asking you, asking us, when we have those moments as well of seeing people walk away from him. Here's his question to them and to us, verse 67. So Jesus asked the 12... Do you also wish to go away? In other words, are you going to leave me as well? Are you going to be just like them? Will you walk away from following me? Or will you be someone whose faith lasts the distance, who chooses to keep walking with me even when things are difficult? What this episode opens up for us is uh, the kind of dynamic of, of real deep trust in Jesus, which is not only for a moment, but that lasts in the long term. Uh, and so it asks us to uh, ask of ourselves the kinds of questions like what kind of things might tempt us away from Jesus and, and what, on the other hand, might help us to keep on choosing him. And so to unpack uh, what, it make, uh, what it, that means for trust in Jesus, a uh, trust that will actually last in the long term, uh, we're going to look at two other questions that are asked in this passage, one from Jesus and uh, the other from Simon Peter. Uh, that first question uh, that we hear from Jesus is, does this offend you? The second question on the lips of Simon Peter is, to whom can we go? Those questions uh, help us to do the two things that we actually need in order to foster the kind of trust that's going to go the distance. Firstly, to diagnose the problem at the heart of our own unbelief. And secondly, to understand the lasting nature of belief that actually will go the distance. What is that? What does it look like? How does it function? And so those are going to be our two points this evening. Firstly, diagnosing our unbelief. And secondly, the nature of lasting belief. Point one, diagnosing our unbelief. Uh, This passage comes at the end, um, as we've mentioned in conversation uh, with Harvey just now, uh, at the end of a very long chapter, it's a heaps long chapter in John's Gospel, where heaps happens. Uh, Jesus begins by performing an astonishing miracle and then enters into a lengthy, kind of heady, lofty, sometimes confusing conversation with the crowd who are following him around and with some of the Jewish leaders. So first, Jesus feeds 5,000 people using five loaves of bread and two fish brought along by a young boy. And the crowd have some questions. I think I would have some questions too if I'd seen that happen, don't you? Uh, Jesus tells them in response to their questions that actually that's not the kind of food they really need. They need not food that perishes, but food that gives life eternal And he says to them, I am that bread. I am the bread of life that's come down from heaven. And if you want to have that life that I offer, life in the age to come, the life that lasts, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, The Jews who were there can't can't comprehend what Jesus is saying. It sounds like total nonsense to them. And even Jesus' own disciples who know him much better are now starting to feel pretty sceptical. And so we pick up in verse 60. When many of Jesus' disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? The Greek word translated difficult uh, there doesn't doesn't actually mean hard to understand. Uh, The problem isn't that the disciples don't know what Jesus means, though I have no doubt they didn't fully grasp at the time everything that Jesus meant by the things he was saying. It doesn't mean that they didn't understand what he meant. Uh, What it means is that it's hard to accept. This teaching is hard to accept. It's hard to swallow, One commentator, uh, Tom Wright, puts it like this. He writes, this new teaching was difficult in the sense that it was demanding not just to get your mind around it but also to get your heart and soul into it. Jesus knows that this is the case, of course, and so he asks them a question, a question for them to ask them what was going on in their own hearts and a question as well to us that helps us to diagnose our own moments of unbelief. Verse 61. But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Now, why exactly would this difficult teaching be offensive to Jesus' own disciples? It's one thing to think that something's silly. It's one thing to think, no, I don't, I don't think I really agree with that, but it's kind of harmless. To be offended by something kind of ratchets things up a few notches, doesn't it? Why exactly is this teaching offensive even to Jesus' own disciples? Well, it's at least in part because when Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, what he means is, I have to be your food and drink. You see, just as we structure our days around our meals, we start with breakfast at the beginning of the day, we interrupt the day to have lunch in the middle, we we wrap it up with dinner in the evening. So it has to be with Jesus. Our whole lives structured around him if we want to have the life that he holds out to us. Jesus is for our souls what food and drink is for our bodies, and so our whole lives need to revolve around him. Another translator puts Jesus' question like this. In our translation, it's does this offend you? She suggests this translation, does this trip you up? There are lots of things about Jesus, of course, that might trip you up, and perhaps all the more the longer you've been following him. Uh, There's plenty in what Jesus says that might offend you and so cause you to stumble on the path of discipleship. Uh, What is it about Jesus, what he says and what he does that offends you? There's a specific thing here for the disciples, but there might be other things for each of us. Uh, Here are just some of the standard ones in our kind of culture. Maybe what trips you up uh, somewhat is what Jesus teaches about how to express your sexuality. Sex is for marriage, the union of a man and a woman, and the only holy expression of sexuality outside of that union is celibacy. I actually met someone once um, when I was doing some door knocking as part of a mission event who was very, very straight with me actually. He just said, you know what, Jesus sounds pretty great. I think I want what he's offering, but I know that if I said yes to following him, I would need to make radical changes to my sex life and I'm just not willing to do that. At least he was clear. He knew what offended him about Jesus and he was acting on it. Maybe for you, uh, what Jesus teaches about sexuality is something that threatens to trip you up. Uh, or maybe it's the radical claims that Jesus makes about your money. Uh, here's a bit of advice for you. If you want to use your money to guarantee a secure and comfortable life, then whatever you do, don't read Luke's Gospel. Don't do it. Because there's a bunch in Luke's Gospel. That he, that, that Luke, the evangelist, records for us about Jesus talking about our money. And I'll tell you what, he's going to undercut a lot of our assumptions about how we use our money in a place like the inner west of Sydney. Uh, Jesus says that uh, your money isn't yours. And he says that your money can't give you what you think and imagine it can give you. And he says even more than that, that it even has the power so to capture your heart, that it will trap you and eventually consume you and lead you away from Jesus. You can't serve God and money. You've got to choose your master. If we really took Jesus at his word about uh, how we use our wealth and our money, it's quite possible that our bank accounts and our lifestyles, for for many of us, might look quite different. Maybe Jesus' radical claims about your money uh, threaten to trip you up. Or maybe it's what people often call the exclusivity of Jesus. Uh, Later in John, Jesus will say those famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Really? Jesus is the only way? What's that saying about all those people who seek to find God through other means? It's incredibly exclusive, isn't it? It It can't possibly be the way that God actually wants things to be. In actuality, of course, Jesus' claim to be the only way is the most incredibly inclusive thing you could imagine. There is one way for everyone to come to God, no matter their background, no matter their station in life, no matter who they are or where they're from, Jesus is the way. For everyone, the only way is to walk Jesus' way, not our own way. Uh, And, you know, to let Jesus be the one that we come to in order to reach God, to let Jesus set the agenda for us like that, it's a thing that can trip a lot of people up. That so-called exclusivity of Jesus um, comes back around, actually, to his claim to be the food and the drink that we need in order to have eternal life. Everything has to be structured around him and ordered toward him. He has to be at the centre of it all. He has to be the one who we draw on for everything that we desire and that we need. And the reason for that is that he alone is the one who can deal with the problem that stands between us and the eternal life that God made us for and holds out to us in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can deal with the problem that stands between us and eternal life. And it's actually the thing that's the most offensive thing at all. Jesus alludes to it in the very next verse. Come back with me again to verse 61. Uh, Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? And then he continues, Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? When Jesus talks about the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. And when he talks about ascending to where he was before, he's talking about returning to his heavenly Father. He's making a claim, actually, about his own status in relation to God. He comes from heaven where God is. And so he's come to be with us, but heaven is where he will return. But there's more to it even than just that claim to be somehow equal with God, even if he doesn't spell out his own divinity in in the clearest possible terms here in this text. Because in John's Gospel, Jesus returned to the Father, his ascension, is always tied closely to the cross. The way that Jesus will return to his Father, the path from here to back where the Father is, is by being lifted up on the cross. And the truth is that the cross has always been the most offensive aspect of Christianity. It's offensive because on one hand of what it says about you and me, that this is what our sin deserves. That this is the natural and proper end of a life that's turned away from God and in on itself. And along with that, the cross confronts all of our ideas of success and of the good life. Apart from God, we're told, this is where all of that is destined to go. And so if you want to follow Jesus to the Father, to have the life that he holds out, then what you need is Jesus' broken body and his blood poured out for you, a way through the trap that is sin. You need his death for you in your place. And so the cross, actually, in the end, is the great dividing line between short-term faith and faith that goes the distance. That's the most offensive thing of all. That's the stumbling block on which so many people trip up. This is what you need here, Jesus, to the cross. That's where you have to come. And the truth of the matter is I know heaps of people, not just those two women who I lived with when I first moved out of home, uh, who have uh, walked away from Jesus over the years, and a lot of them would cite some of those other three things I've talked about, sexuality, money, the exclusivity of Jesus, as reasons for their walking away. Uh, but, you know, I can't see their hearts. Only God can see their hearts. But for a bunch of them, I suspect that actually this really is what was going on deep down underneath those things. No, 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 I can't let Jesus call the shots. No, I'm not willing to admit that that's what's required for me to come to God. It's too much. It's a stumbling block. it's tripped them up. Jesus is telling us here that there's a problem with taking offence at his teaching, at his word, at what it is that he does. It really can actually trip us up. It can send us off on the wrong pathway and cut our discipleship short before we reach the end. We have to notice here as well, there's also um, something good and even healthy about being offended by Jesus. Because offence means that you're actually taking Jesus seriously. Uh, If you've never been offended at all by Jesus, if nothing that he says or does uh, troubles you or raises uncomfortable questions, then to be honest, you're probably just not paying enough attention because Jesus is going to say a bunch of things, even if you've been a believer for a long time, that are going to make you pretty uncomfortable. Some of the questions that we're digging into in this series are some of those moments. Perhaps even more than just not paying attention, you, you might be falling into an even deeper trap which is that you might actually have just substituted the real Jesus who's presented to us in the Scriptures, who we know in our hearts by the Spirit. You might have just substituted the real Jesus for a Jesus that you've kind of just made up. One who thinks all the same things that you think and who wants all the same things for you that you want for yourself. That Jesus not of the gospel, but of some kind of self-projection, really. So not being offended at all by Jesus can also be a sign of a real spiritual problem. And that's, what, that's why actually this question from Jesus to, the, uh, to um, those disciples of his in the first century and to us as well through his word, that's why this question is uh, kind of a gift to us really. Does this offend you? Are there things about me and my message and my life and my teaching that threaten to trip you up? What that question does is to help us to open up our own hearts to diagnose our own moments of unbelief. What is it that's most likely to trip you up? What is it about Jesus that you find hard to take, if you're really honest about it? It's a question that Jesus here invites us to ask and to answer before those moments of decision come, right? To be actually wrestling with him, about, uh, with those things together with him, so that actually we're open about our struggles. We can bring them to him. We can talk them out before they actually become too big for us to deal with. It's a question, therefore, that can help you to grow a faith that will endure. So that when the question is, as Jesus says to the 12, do you also wish to go away, you're ready and able to say, no, I'll keep walking with you. I choose you, Jesus. I choose to keep walking this path. Jesus here helps us to diagnose our own moments of unbelief to see what's really going on there in our hearts. But diagnosing the nature of our unbelief only gets us so far because agreeing with what Jesus says and teaches is not actually the heart of Christian faith and belief, is it? And so we need something, uh, something in addition to that, point two. Uh, what's the nature of lasting belief? Uh, we we'll come back uh, here for a moment to uh, that second question that Jesus asked in the passage but where, where we began in the introduction this evening. Uh, and Simon Peter's response to this question is uh, one of my top two favourite verses in the whole Bible. Awesome. It's been kind of just a catchphrase for me for a long time. Uh, here's Jesus' question and Simon's response, verse 67. So Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, Peter says to Jesus, look, there's no one else who can give us what we want. There's no one else who can give us what we need. There's nowhere else for us to go. You have it. You are it. You have what we want, what we need. There's no one else who can do for us what we most need. No one else who can fulfill our longings. No one else who can be the end of our seeking You're the Holy One. You're the one who really can show us the Father and so can bring us home to him as well. It's a beautiful moment of um, surrendering in faith and trust to Jesus. But it's really important also to notice what Peter doesn't say here. Uh, What he doesn't say is this. "No, No, no, we're not going anywhere because we're not offended at all. Because your teaching is easy and we have no problems with anything that you've ever said. He's not saying, I don't have any trouble with what you've just said. What he's saying is something different. He's willing, you see, to accept Jesus on his own terms. He says, you have the words of eternal life. You have what we need. You have what we want. And sure, you might say some things that I don't really get and some things that I don't even really like. But I'm willing to go with you anyway. Now, we know from uh, all four of the Gospels in the New Testament uh, that Peter will indeed butt heads with Jesus more than once, sometimes quite dramatically to the point where Jesus calls him Satan at one point. Peter has all these moments where he says, no, 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 you're wrong about that, actually, Jesus. That's that's not how you should be thinking about this. I've got a better plan. Ah, Can you say that to the true and living Lord of the universe? Peter and Jesus will definitely butt heads, even to the point, of course, where he will deny Jesus three times the night before he dies. And yet, in the end, he chooses to continue to follow Jesus. And Jesus graciously, again and again, restores him and brings him back in. What Peter is saying here is not, I just agree with everything Jesus says, no questions asked, and it's all super easy. But what he also doesn't do is to allow those things that he doesn't get and even finds difficult about Jesus to trip him up. And there's a reason for that. Peter gives us his rationale for staying with Jesus, for choosing to follow him even in the difficult things. It's right there in the verse we've just read. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, This here, actually, rather than agreeing with the things that Jesus says and teaches, this here is the heart of true faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Peter understands that it isn't in the end about what Jesus teaches, as important as that is. It's about who Jesus is. It's only then that what Jesus teaches matters at all. What matters most at the heart of it is who Jesus is. And you see, Peter already at this early point in John's Gospel, he's beginning to get to know Jesus. And because he knows Jesus, he can persevere through the difficulties, even the disagreements that he has with Jesus and what he teaches. Peter and the Twelve aren't choosing to stay with Jesus here because they agree with everything that he says. Rather, they're willing to wrestle with his teachings and the things that he says and does because of who they know that he is. And they're even willing to trust that those difficult teachings might be words of life to them, even if they don't yet understand it. That's the mark of lasting belief right there. It's to trust in Jesus that goes the distance, that's going to allow you to keep choosing Jesus even when it's difficult, to keep ordering and structuring your life and shaping yourself around him. The more you know Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you'll be able to go with him on those things that rub you up the wrong way. Even those things that make you really angry, actually. I'd be very surprised if you're honest with yourself, if you don't sometimes read what Jesus says in the Gospels and get angry about it. You can't say that. But the more you know him, the more you love him, the more you'll be able to go with him, even when you hit those moments. Instead of tripping you up and letting you away from Jesus, you'll be able to keep wrestling with them. Because you know who he is, you know his kindness and compassion, you know the fierceness with which he pursues those uh, who the Father has uh, brought uh, into his family, you know his willingness to listen and to ask questions. Because of who Jesus is, you'll be able to hold on to him even when what he says to you and asks of you is difficult to accept. What does it look like to kind of actually live that out in practice? Um, Firstly, it's going to mean asking a lot of questions. Uh, I hope this isn't the case at at our church, but sometimes people, when they uh, live the Christian life, have this funny idea that that in churches you're not really meant to ask questions. You get told how things are, and then that's just how it is. But no, no, not at all for the family of Jesus Christ. Ask your questions. If there are things you find difficult about Jesus, about the Scriptures, about following him, about uh, honouring and praising God with your life, ask those questions. Jesus is big enough to take it. You've got to ask those questions. And particularly, I think you need to ask those questions in prayer because Jesus invites you into this relationship with him. God the Father invites you into this relationship with him where you can put these things to him directly. Ask your questions and seek in your prayers to ask God for understanding while also asking him for a deep and persistent knowledge and sense of his love and peace and presence of who he is that he might do that in your heart, even if you don't get all the answers and the understanding that you're after. Uh, Secondly, uh, you need to uh, keep reading the scriptures, of course, but particularly I want to just put my little two cents in about reading the Gospels and be reading the Gospels all the time. The Gospels are where we see Jesus, the word of God made flesh, walking among us, interacting with human beings. God has given us this gift of himself in human form so we can meet him and see what he's like, and they're recorded for us in the Gospels. If you want to get to know Jesus so that you love him more and more, then you've got to be reading the Gospels, those stories of him interacting with people. Um, Some of you have probably heard this rant from me before, uh, but the uh, old Anglican Book of Common Prayer, the, the 17th century classic edition, it's got a Bible reading program in it, like to read the whole Bible through a year. It's pretty epic, to be honest. You read the entire Book of Psalms every month, cover to cover. You read through the entire Old Testament, the entire New Testament. You even read some books that are not actually Scripture, but the the classic Anglicans are like, that's good too. Why not throw that in there as well? You read a lot of Bible. And the way it's set up is that you read every single day some of the Old Testament, a psalm, one of the New Testament parts that's not a gospel, so one of Paul's letters or one of the other books in the New Testament, and then you read something from the Gospels as well a daily dose of reading from the Gospels because to actually see Jesus in the way that he's presented to us in the Gospels really matters for our heart, for our faith. So if you want to have faith that goes the distance, then you just need to keep reading the Gospels. Uh, Also, we need to ask those questions and have all of those um, kind of things that, that might trip us up to talk about them openly and honestly with each other, actually. God gives us the gift of a community, of a body to be part of, and so Get used to being open and vulnerable about those things that you're finding difficult about following Jesus. Talk them through with your fellowship groups. Ask your friends and those you know at church about them. Come and ask me or someone else on staff about them if you've got particular questions you want to wrestle with. These are things for us to talk about together. And to be honest, again, to go back just to my own experience, this is not scripture at this point, this is just my own experience, those who I know who have walked away from the Lord Jesus, many of them didn't tell a single person that they were wrestling with the kinds of things that led them away until it was too late. I have no idea for some of them how different it might have been, actually, if they'd had some conversations about it earlier. But for lots of them, I first heard about it when they were like, I've been wrestling with this for like three years and I've decided now not to be a Christian anymore. You could have talked with me about it three years ago. Who knows where this might have gone? Ask your questions. Talk with each other about them. Encourage one another that actually Jesus is going to stay with you, even as you wrestle with your doubts, with your questions, with those things that are difficult. Those are some things, I think, about what it looks like to live this out, this kind of faith that will actually last to the end. What is it, though, uh, in the end that's going to enable you to do that, to keep choosing Jesus even when it's difficult? As we draw to a close, I want to take a moment just to notice how it is that Jesus responds to Peter's beautiful declaration, that he will stick with Jesus. Where else have we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Jesus responds to this by saying something about himself, and particularly about himself in relation to his disciples. He says in verse 60, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? The way to keep choosing Jesus, to keep going back to him again and again, to not let these things trip us up, is to realise that actually before we even began to, to think that we were choosing Jesus, he'd already chosen us. And he chose us, of course, and in choosing us, he chose to go to the cross for us to go to that place that is most offensive to most people. But when you actually see it, that Jesus chose to go there for you, it becomes not the actual offensive thing, but the most beautiful thing in all the world. He would do that for you. He would take the death that you deserved so you might share in his life. He would suffer in your place. Because he knows that that's what you most need. And so anytime you have those moments where something threatens to trip you up, where you're grumpy with Jesus about something, where you don't understand why he would put you on the path that he's put you on, remember this, that he chose you and he chose to go to the cross for you. That's what we need if we're going to be those who can answer that question. Do you wish to go away as well? Say, no, Jesus, we choose to stick with you to the end of our days. Let's pray that Jesus would help us to do just that. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you've given us such a gift in the Lord Jesus. You sent him among us so that we might know you, we might see your son in person and see what it looks like for him to interact with um, just normal everyday people like us. Father, we see his grace, his compassion, we see the way that he's willing to ask the hard questions. Most of all, we see the way that he chose to go to his own death for us, that he chose the cross so that we might be his, so that we might be your children. And so, Father, we ask that in all of those moments, big and small, where there are things that trip us up, where you have put us on a path that we don't want to be on, or you've asked something of us that we don't want to give, or you've simply said something in your word that we don't understand and can't make sense of. In all these moments, big and small, Father, help us not to stumble, but to remember the Lord Jesus, his flesh and blood given for us so that we might draw our strength from him and say yes to following him to the end of our days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.